Let us turn now in God's holy word to the book of Nahum. Nahum chapter 1. And as I reminded you this morning, if you're struggling to find Nahum, if you find Micah, as the book right before the book of Nahum, a little bit after Amos, a little bit before Habakkuk. This morning we looked at the first eight verses of this first chapter of the book of Nahum. Nahum the Elkishite. This passage of Nahum chapter 1 is given to the once great city of Nineveh. It's no longer a great city today, of course. But back then when Nahum was giving this prophecy, it was a great city. And it's hard for us to imagine because this city was destroyed in 612 B.C. 200 years before this book, in the book of Jonah, this city is described as having the extent of a three-day journey. This is a massive city, a very, very powerful city. Probably the equivalent of what a city like Washington, D.C. or Moscow or a city like that back in that time. Its destruction having taken place long ago. But imagine somebody going to the center of power. The most powerful, the most impressive empire at that time. Now this is the time before the Babylonians. Later on the Medes and the Babylonians take over this region. But the Assyrians... And this is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. They think they won't decline. They think that their reign will go on and on. And arrogance fills their hearts because they don't think that there will be any decline. Nahum had a message for what their sin would do to them. They thought they could not lose. They had the most powerful army. They had the most powerful empire. What could possibly go wrong? But through sin, they could not win. And that's going to be our title for this evening's message in verses 9 to 15. Sin cannot win. So we're going to read, first of all, Nahum chapter 1. We're going to read all of the chapter from Nahum chapter 1. And then we're going to look at verses 9 to 15 in our preaching this evening. Nahum chapter 1, let us hear God's holy and infallible word. The burden against Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkishite. God is jealous and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind. And in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry, and dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither, and the flower of Lebanon wilts. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt, and the earth heaves at his presence. 
Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? And who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire. And the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows those who trust in him. And with an overflowing flood, he will make an utter end of its place. And darkness will pursue his enemies. What do you conspire against the Lord? He will make an utter end of it. Affliction will not rise up a second time. For while tangled like thorns, and while drunken like drunkards, they shall be devoured like stubble fully dried. From you comes forth one who plots evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. Thus says the Lord, though they are safe and likewise many, yet in this manner they will be cut down when he passes through. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. For now I will break off his yoke from you and burst your bonds apart. The Lord has given a command concerning you. Your name shall be perpetuated no longer. Out of the house of your gods, I will cut off the carved image and the molded image. I will dig your grave, for you are vile. Behold the mountains, the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace, O Judah. Keep your appointed feasts, perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly Cut off, and may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Again, our preaching will be starting in verse 9 all the way down to the end of that chapter in verse 15. If any of you know me very well, you know that I love dogs and um, love all types of dogs. They can be big dogs, small dogs, different types of personalities but one thing I've noticed over the years with different types of dogs is some try to dominate others I don't know if any of you've got dogs or have noticed that some will try to dominate others some will want to be alpha the number one some are happy to be go around the place and they're they don't want to dominate anyone and some are very timid like my own dog at home Alpha dogs want to dominate and they want to lead others. Um, and you might think that it's always the big dog. It's always the big one. The small ones never do this. It's actually, in reality, it can be a small one. It can be a big one. It's usually the ones with the, uh, the big personalities. In the park, I've noticed there's times when there's small dogs picking fights with big dogs. Um, and sometimes you're looking and thinking that's a bad idea that's a bad idea sometimes people can be like this and if you've ever noticed across your life uh, there can be uh, when you're at school you might have people who are a bit short and a bit smaller than another kid and he wants to prove how tough he is by taking on somebody bigger than him uh, picking a fight that he cannot win Fighting is a bad thing, of course, in and of itself, unless it's for self-defense. But they would learn the hard way. 
picking a fight that they cannot win. Picking a fight that they can never win. The problem is these people who pick these fights, they think they will win these fights. Spiritually speaking, there are billions of people across this world who are picking a fight they cannot win. And they've been born that way. In rebellion against the one who is far stronger than they are. They are, they are fighting against the God of heaven with inferior weapons. With inferior tactics. They, they can't win this. But they think they can. Who are these people? Anyone outside of Jesus Christ. Anyone who hasn't placed their trust in Jesus Christ. Anyone still in rebellion against Jesus Christ. The people of Nineveh in our text, as we'll be looking at here this evening. They did not see that they were picking a fight with a God far stronger than they were. They did not know that they were picking a fight they could not win. Because, friends, sin cannot win. We're going to look at this text, verses 9 to 15, under four headings. And the first heading is this, sin's defiance. Sin's defiance. Verses 9 to 11 of our text. What do you conspire against the Lord? He will make an utter end of it. Affliction will not rise up a second time. For while tangled like thorns, and while drunken like drunkards, they shall be devoured like stubble, fully dried. From you comes forth one who plots evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. A wicked counselor. Defiance has been described this way by one dictionary, a daring, a, a challenging to fight, a, a invitation to combat. A call to an adversary to encounter, if he dare. If he dare. In the first verse we're looking at here, verse 9. What do you conspire against the Lord or what do you devise against the Lord? There's almost a sense of, what are you doing? What are you, and this is the you plural in Hebrew. What are you Doing what? What are you? Why are you thinking this way? Why are you going in this direction? He will make an utter end of it. There is a conspiring, a conspiracy. Now, the word conspiracy is often misunderstood today. We often hear of things that are called, you know, conspiracy theories on the internet. Uh, but conspiracy is a reality. Many conspiracies are very, very hard to prove. We have to go to court often to prove conspiracy. But they're true. Uh, they can happen. They are plotting together to commit a crime. The crime here is against God. But they are a fact. They happen. There are many people conspiring or devising ways and means against God himself. As it was then, this is the middle 
This is about 660 BC when this was written, as it is today in 2022. What do you conspire against the Lord? He was, they were plotting against the people found in Judah. Now at that time, there was Sennacherib, king of Assyria. And he's most likely referred to in verse 11 of our text. In verse 11, it says, From you comes forth one who plots evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. This is most likely referring to the famous king Sennacherib, who came against Judah with 185,000 strong army. 185,000 strong army. A mighty ruler in Assyria who came up against, at the time, King Hezekiah. And he mocked any notion that the God of heaven and earth would deliver God's people from what the Assyrians were planning to do to Judah. Again, the Assyrians were very strong the strongest empire of the day. And they were not kind to those who stood in their way. Here we see a hostile dare to fight against the God of heaven. And you say, well, how is he fighting against the God of heaven? Well, he is mocking those who follow him. And saying, your God will not deliver you. And this is part of the conspiring to discourage God's people. To plot against them. This is, and we see plenty of examples around us in the media. We see plenty of examples around us, all around us. Even in politics. And sometimes even in the professing church. There are those who plot against the Lord. Sinful defiance. Sinful fighting against God. It says... We turn to Isaiah 37. Isaiah 37 deals with Sennacherib's engagement with Judah. In Isaiah 37 verses 10 to 13 it says this. Isaiah 37 verses 10 to 13. This is what Sennacherib says. Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Look, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands by utterly destroying them, and shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed, Gozan and Horan and Rezeph? And the people of Eden who were in Telassar. Where is the king of Hamath? The king of Arpad. And the king of the city of Sepharvim. Hena and Iva. Well he's basically saying well look. All these other gods. I suppose gods of the other nations didn't deliver them. Where are they now? And he is likening. All these false idols, these false gods, to the true God of heaven and earth. This is sinful defiance. And this is what sin does. It defies the living God. It drives 
us to defy the living God. For that is what it does. It is against Judah. As we see here. The professing church of that day. The visible church of that day. And ultimately against God himself. When we witness to the lost. When we share the truth. Do we always receive warm reception of the message? Do people love to hear the gospel? Not at all. It's offensive to people. Because it's telling them they're sinners. Deserving of hell. We all are. Every single last one of us. But Jesus Christ has died for sinners. He's died for criminals. He has died for people who have not sought out after him. Mercifully. When we suffer for Christ in sharing that message, we must remember that the hatred of the world is primarily against Christ himself. The hatred of Sennacherib against Judah was against God. It says in Luke 6.22, Blessed are you when men hate you, And when they exclude you and revile you and cast you out your name and cast out your name as evil for the son of man's sake. John 15, 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. John 15, 18. So when we're going through trial, difficulty for the sake of Christ, know that the hatred is mainly against Christ. We continue to do it because we love Christ. And we continue to do it because we love our neighbor and we want them to know Christ. But the open sinful defiance before God of heaven is seen throughout Assyrian history. It's not just seen with this in our text. Comes forth one who plots evil against the Lord. It's not just seen with that one. It's seen with all the rulers. But there's something very specific in this text. There's something very specific about how this affliction faced will not arise, it says, a second time. Will not arise a second time. The first time was shut down by the angel of the Lord. Returning once more to Isaiah 37. Just remind yourselves of how the angel of the Lord ended this. Isaiah 37, verses 36 to 37. Then the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when the people arose early in the morning, and there were the corpses all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away and returned home and remained at Nineveh. Now, from the point of view of the Assyrians, this is an embarrassing defeat. This tiny little nation defying this mighty empire. In one night, 185,000 of their soldiers slain, killed by the angel of the Lord. Such demonstrations, though, have not shown the Assyrians and have not changed their hearts. They continue, 
as sin does, to pick a fight that they cannot win. Fighting on. And this is the amazing thing about sin. Unless they've been given a new heart and a new nature, sinners will continue to fight against God. As they do here. There's, there's a perpetual stubbornness that continues to go on. It says here in verse 10, again returning to Nahum, chapter 1, verse 10. For while tangled like thorns, and while drunken like drunkards. For while tangled like thorns. Thorns are stubborn, aren't they? You know when you're going through a bit of wood and you've got plants and there's thorns. They are stubborn. They are difficult. uh, And they slow you down. They slow down growth. They're not exactly a joyful thing to find anywhere. Thorns. And also when we look at people who are drunk can be stubborn. There's a stubbornness. There's a rebellion in their sin. And also what happens, there's a a dulling of the conscience against God. And this is the picture we're given here of the stubbornness. Of the rebellion, of the defiance. The open defiance of the Assyrians. Tangled like thorns. And while drunken like drunkards. Those who are drunk. Their consciences dull to the truth. And only judgment awaits those who persist in rebellion against God. And sadly, friends, they shall be devoured like stubble, fully dried. So we've looked at sin's defiance. This is the, the defiance of sin. This is, and this isn't just a defiance of the Assyrians. This is the defiance of anyone outside of Christ. They need a new nature. But now we're going to look at sin's dominion. Sin's dominion. We talked at the beginning about those particular dogs with that personality who want to be alpha. Who want to dominate. And they're not quite happy unless they are dominating. They just have that personality. Sin wants to dominate. It always wants to be alpha. It always wants to be number one. And it won't accept anything else. It wants more and more and it's never satisfied. Look at the world. Look at the world. Is it ever satisfied? The more it gets. Do you ever see these celebrities? These sports stars? They, they, they get to the top of their mountain. Whatever the pinnacle of success is. And they can go no higher. They've done everything. And people are amazed that they're so miserable. Because it's not enough. It's not enough. In verses uh, 12 and 13 it says this. Thus says the Lord. Though they are safe. And this is referring to the Assyrians. Though they are safe. And likewise many. Yet in this manner they will be cut down. When he passes through. Though I have afflicted you. I will afflict you no more. For now I will break off his yoke from you. And burst Your bonds apart. They here again is referring to the Assyrians. And it says here that they they are safe. They are safe. Or another way to translate that is complete. Or at peace. One other translation translated it this way. Though they are at full strength. Though they are at full 
strength, and likewise many. Another way to say this is, humanly speaking, there was nothing to say that the Assyrians were in decline. They looked strong. They had many. And there was nothing to indicate that there was immediate danger to them. Yet, some 50 years later, all that was gone. Armies, money, property, possessions. It keeps no one safe. Not even this great city of Nineveh. Again, remind yourselves of in Jonah 3.3, it was described as a three-day journey in extent. It seems to have taken three days to get across the length and breadth of it. Nahum 1.13 talks about a yoke on the necks of uh, the people of Judah, God's people. Verse 13, once again, For now I will break off his yoke from you and burst your bonds apart. This yoke, and this is what sin is. It is a yoke, it is a heavy affliction. It is a cruel taskmaster that seeks to dominate over all who will serve sin. It's a slavery. It promises freedom, but it never delivers freedom. It brings in more and more slavery. Cruel slavery. All who are in sinful defiance against God will be brought under greater affliction from this bondage. And it is not talking just about Assyrian sinners. It does talk about Assyrian sinners in the middle of the 7th century BC, but it also talks about sinners in Carrickfergus in the year 2022. It talks about sinners across Northern Ireland. It talks about sinners outside of Christ across the island of Ireland. It talks about sinners, billions of them, who do not know Christ across this globe. Sin is a cruel and oppressive taskmaster. When we think of the yoke, the yoke is fitted to the neck of oxen. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of old, these old yokes that were, they were affixed to the neck, and you'd often see two oxen side by side, for the purpose of binding them to the traces by which they draw the plow, usually for plowing before. And it's also a symbol of subjugation. A symbol of serving something else. And we all have a yoke. We all have some yoke of some description. We all serve some master. It's either sin or Christ. The subjection of sin and sinful rulers is cruel. It says in this text... God is the one who breaks the yoke of this sinful rule, of the Assyrians, the affliction that has been brought upon by this sinful dominion. God alone can break it, and he brings in a lighter one. It says, Jesus said this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. And Jesus says this again to you, if you are under the dominion of sin here this evening. Perhaps you were still in bondage to him and you have a heavy yoke, a burdensome yoke, a yoke which makes it hard to walk and hard 
to make the next step. But Jesus' yoke is not like that. It is easy and it is light. It's not to say that your life will be easy. But it is a joy to serve this master. If we serve sin, sin is our master. But if we serve Christ, then he is our master. Romans 6.16 says this. Do you not know that to whom you presently present yourselves, slaves to obey, you are the one slaves whom you obey. Whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Slaves to obey. Whoever you serve, that is whom you are a servant or a slave of. And the question is, do we have the oppressive dominion of sin around our neck? Or the light one of Christ Christ's reign is wonderful. Proverbs 29 verse 2 says this. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. It's a wonderful thing to be a Christian. It's a wonderful thing to be set free. It is truly wonderful. But it says also in that proverb, when, wicked, when a wicked man rules, the people groan. There's sorrow. Even in this world, there's sorrow. So we've looked at sin's defiance, sin's dominion. Now we're going to look at sin's downfall. Sin's downfall. Verse 14 of Nahum chapter 1 says this. The Lord has given a command concerning you. Your name shall be perpetuated no longer. Out of the house of your gods, I will cut off the carved image and the molded image. I will dig your grave. For you are vile. Again, remind yourselves of the title of this message. Sin cannot win. No matter how much it wants to dominate, it will eventually lose and be shown to be defeated openly. There is a destiny concerning every single sinful ruler, every enemy of God who will not repent. Everyone who remains in rebellion. And again, this is all people who remain in the rebellion. We're all sinners. If we're here this evening, born again of the Spirit of God, we've been changed from when we once went on the broad road that leadeth unto destruction, but the Lord mercifully took pity upon us and changed us and gave us a new heart. Had we continued down that road, this would be our destiny as well. Our days on this earth are numbered. Ecclesiastes tells us, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. This life is but a puff of smoke. It is so brief. It appeareth for a little time and then vanishes away. We get such a short time on this earth. Our days are numbered. And will we fight a losing battle that will lead to your destruction? Or submit to the victor, the the one who will win? The one who has won over death and hell. A losing battle can be fought no matter what title you put on your name. There's many people who profess to be Protestants across this province who've never gone to a church, never read the Bible. It matters not 
the title. It only matters whether you're in Christ or not. Whether you've trusted him or not. And it includes your nice neighbor. The person who you think is wonderful. The one one who cuts your lawn when you're away. That lovely person but has never trusted Jesus Christ. They're also part of that downfall. And that's why we need to reach people with the gospel. It's hard for us to think about, isn't it? It's easier for us to think, you know, turn on the news and think of the LGBT community who openly hate Christ. But even that nice neighbor, that person is very respectful about your faith. The same end. Sin brings downfall for all who do not trust Christ. They all need the gospel. Look at the house of gods and idols destroyed in Assyria. It says here, your name shall be perpetuated no longer. The Assyrian empire was no more. Out of the house of your gods, idols, I will cut off the carved image and the molded image. These were things that they lived for. What they lived for were gone. What they trusted was gone. So will it be for those who do not trust in Christ. What, what, what you live for, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, what you live for today will one day be gone. Perhaps you're here this evening, perhaps you're not a believer, and you're thinking, wow, they trusted in idols. Wow, how ridiculous. I would never do that. If you haven't trusted in Christ, you are trusting in idols. Every single person who is, who is not trusting in Christ is trusting in idols. Your idols may be your career. Your idol may be a sport. It is for many. What do you live for? What do you serve? It can even be yourself. They may even be good things that God has given family and friends. They can become idols. There are lots of idols that we can turn into idols. It can even be your children. Anything can be turned into an idol if if we give the affection and love that is owed to God to anything else. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians this, 1 Thessalonians 1.9. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of Entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols. How you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. It's not all open Hinduism. All of us are idolaters until and unless we turn to God. And we must turn from those idols that sin in order to trust in Christ. We cannot. Bring our idols with us and just add Jesus to the mix. Those things, those idols, they'll be destroyed. And the wages of sin is death. It's right here. I will dig your grave. It is a grim downfall and it is a grim end. And that's God speaking. I 
personally will dig your grave. Now we talked about this morning. We don't like to think about these things, do we? But because we miss the horror of sin. We miss the, the, the beauty and the glory of the one whom sin offends and stands against. If we see the horror of sin, we will cry out for justice. And we see why God does what he does. And a threat is only as scary and threatening as the one giving it. If somebody threatens you and is maybe not very powerful, they're like half your height, you're like, you're not scared at all. But this is the God of heaven and earth. The Assyrians sadly did not fear God. They did not tremble at his presence. As we saw here this morning, we were talking about how God does all things for his glory. All things for his glory, even the judgment of sinners. For you are vile. And friends, we're all like this until and unless we're in Jesus Christ. Because when we're in Jesus Christ, we go from that to being a sweet smelling aroma for Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ. We go from something that is an object of wrath to being an object of love when God delights in. He doesn't see sin breaking anymore. He sees the law perfectly kept because of Christ. He doesn't have to set aside his justice in order to embrace any in Jesus Christ. Because he cannot set aside his justice. He cannot deny who he is. Our final point, our final point here this evening is saints delivered. Saints delivered. So we've looked at sin's defiance, sin's dominion, sin's downfall, and finally, saints delivered. Now we've looked at all the bad news. There's good news. Wonderful news. The good news is only as good as what we have been delivered from. The darker the sky, the more clearly the stars can be seen shining through. It talks about here, behold in the mountains, verse 15, the feet of him who brings good tidings. The feet of him who brings good news. When somebody has good news, do you ever notice something about the way they walk? It's usually a little bit faster. If it's bad news, they will walk a little bit more slowly. Here, the feet of the one who has this good news is different. Name 115 again, behold on the mountains... The feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. O Judah, keep your appointed feasts, perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. Here is the hope needed in this section. There's, yes, there's this judgment in the city of destruction. Nineveh is to be destroyed. Its destiny is clear. But... There is peace. Oh, Judah, there is peace for those in Jesus Christ. Look, there is a messenger 
on the mountain. And on the mountain, before everybody, clearly for all to see with this message of peace, the feet of him who brings good tidings, who brings, who proclaims peace, news of peace. There's war going on. The Assyrians are interested not in peace, but in war. They want dominion. They want to dominate. They're not interested in peace. And here is a a messenger with word from the war taking place. How can he proclaim peace? How is it possible with this powerful army that wants to dominate this region? How can there be peace? How can there be deliverance? This deliverance, as we mentioned, from the yoke of this bondage. Verse 13, once again, for now I will break off his yoke from you. There is a freedom in this message. It is exciting news. And sometimes we can figure out how good the good news is. The longer we're a Christian, sometimes we can take for granted. The longer we're able to go to church. The longer we have freedom in this part of the world. We can take it for granted. The wonderful blessings that it is to be able to go. It is exciting news to tell someone how they can be set free. And we can forget this. Says in Isaiah 52, verse 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. And he, God reigns not just in Zion, he also reigns in Assyria over every. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news and we know don't we have you ever been at the the hospital and parents here know what this is like you hear good news is it a boy is it a girl has a baby just been born what do you want to do you want to tell people and you're probably running to tell people because you're so excited to tell people you cannot wait but here's news that's far better than that far better Lasting eternal peace with God through the messenger of the covenant, Jesus Christ. It says in Malachi 3.1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to this temple. Even the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. The messenger of the covenant, the message of peace is the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. How he died in the place of sinners. How he lived in the place of sinners. How he was in the grave three days and he rose again for our justification. That message, that deliverance, that refuge, that stronghold found only in him. Victory. And because of that victory, Nahum can say to Judah, O Judah, Keep your appointed feasts. What were the appointed feasts? Feast of Tabernacles and the other feasts. Joyful feasts. Commanded in the old covenant. Now we don't keep those, uh, uh, those feasts today. But what does that say to us today? What is what continues on from the old covenant feasts? The joy. Worship. Oh church you might say today. Worship God and do it joyfully. These were to be joyful feasts. 
according to as it is written in the word of the living God. Perform your vows, for the wicked one shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. The one who seeks to do you harm, there will be defeat. Sin cannot win. No matter how powerful and impressive it may look to us at certain times, no matter how bold or strong, it will fail. So if you're here today and there's something that seems insurmountable at your work, within your family, there's something raging and fighting against you, causing you pain and great difficulty, the Lord will be victorious. And if you're in him, we will reign with him. Sin will bring ruin. But righteousness in Jesus Christ will bring victory. The gospel of peace brings victory over our enemies. Freedom from the yoke of bondage. Freedom from the guilt of sin. Freedom from the misery of affliction. We have tasted it. We've just had a little taste of that freedom, haven't we? All those in Jesus Christ, you've had a little taste of it. But just a little taste. But the fullness is to come. Even here in the Sabbath day, we have like little windows into eternity of how wonderful eternity is with Jesus Christ. More is to come. More is to come. For those delivered by him and by faith alone in his message. Oh, let us remind ourselves once again, behold on the mountains, the feet of him. Think of the excitement. Think of the joy of this message. This message is amazing. The feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. Amen.